Hey everybody, what's going on? My name is Rob Payone and welcome to the Proof of Talent podcast where we talk about everything related to the career journey within the blockchain, crypto, and Web3 space. Today, I have a great conversation for you. It is with Matt Austin, who is the COO of Elementus. And there's a number of reasons why this conversation, I think, is really solid. First of all, I think it really strongly and accurately touches both the perspective of job seekers within the industry, but also companies that are hiring because Matt has done both. He has been a job seeker within the crypto space. He has also successfully transitioned his career and moved up the ladder to an executive level at a startup that has grown rapidly. And he's been actively involved in the hiring processes there. So he shares some great insight for companies that are hiring as well as for job seekers. But another reason that this is pretty cool for me too, is that I've known Matt now for about four years. One of the first candidates that I met when I started Proof of Talent in the summer of 2019 was actually Matt. I had known Anthony Pomp Pompliano for a bit of time prior to starting Proof of Talent. When I started Proof of Talent, I reached out to him, had some conversations with him about you know, what I was doing, things like that. He ended up starting to send me resumes of people that he knew that were trying to find jobs in the crypto space. One of the first people that he sent over to me was Matt Austin. And while I never ended up getting the chance to place Matt, we now work directly with him at Proof of Talent with the team of Elementus to help them hire, but also kind of cool too, because then three years later, Pomp's company, Inflection Points, ended up acquiring Proof of Talent. So now I work you know, directly alongside Pomp with Proof of Talent. So kind of coming full circle after four years of starting the company. Pretty pretty cool opportunity for me to have this conversation with Matt. So without further ado, let's hop into it. Yeah, it's kind of wild to think back that, that was, that's when we got connected. But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of roads do lead back to Pomp. And we can we can definitely riff on uh, what he's done for uh, for me in my career and even introducing me to uh, or play and introducing me to our CEO. But uh, yeah, my like first foray into crypto, honestly, was going back into like when I early on in my professional career. So I was working at KPMG at the time. I was working in the the audit side of the business and got like really lucky. You know, uh, working at KPMG, they moved me to New York, and this is right when like a lot of people were talking about like fintech and crypto within New York. And uh, my first kind of entry point was actually I went home for a Christmas break and I was just like chatting with my brother who was uh, my brother's an applied math major at the time and he also got uh, really deep into like wandering down aimless um, internet rabbit holes and I remember he just like showed me this white paper on Bitcoin and I I thought he was like out of his mind but then he like <laughs> explained everything behind it and I was like oh this is really cool but uh, that was yeah, really what like, got me into crypto was my brother just like randomly showed me this white paper and then I just like kept getting into it. And I went to business school at, uh, at Columbia and you know, was a TA for a professor who was uh, also like getting really into, you know, fintech and blockchain at the time. And uh, the rest is history. I just like have been in the space ever since then. How did you go? Because you have, I, I would say, what's kind of like a traditional polished background. Like you said, you worked at a big four company, you got a, an MBA at like one of the top business schools out there. How does somebody like yourself go from like this, like very, you know, traditional, impressive, polished, you know, great resume type background to um, conceptualizing, getting yourself in the space and, and going ahead and doing so? I think the short answer is just um, like untamed curiosity. 
So when I was at business school, uh, was a, you know, trying to make some extra money on the side. So I, I became a teaching assistant. The professor who I taught for, he was, he taught the, I think the first FinTech course ever at, at the school. So I'll go back to, again, just like blind luck and just this intersection of like luck and curiosity. And when I was TAing for him, he uh, like really pushed me to think about, you know, my career. I was, I was gung-ho on going down the like private equity investment banking path. Uh, quickly found out that was not the right path for me. I think I went on a few interviews and uh, knew that was not a future I wanted to, at least was just not right for me. So I was looking at different career opportunities going into my second year of business school, was TAing for this professor. And then just he introduced me to a, a VC who was doing like early stage investing, mainly at, uh, at, at fintech in the fintech layer of, uh, of the ecosystem. So seed up to series A. And was like super early into fintech, so I just happened to meet this guy who came into our class to speak, and he was looking for someone to join his his fund and kind of be like a you know a, a deputy slash like number two to help him kind of like run the operations side of the house. So uh, during business school, worked for him, and just he kept pushing me to think about like what does the future of finance look like, and that inevitably led down the path of like blockchain crypto and. After going down that path, you kind of just get addicted and you're like, okay, I don't know if I can go back to like a regular day job and have just gotten like lucky ever since then that uh, I've got like really good opportunities and had a pretty good timing and a lot of luck along the way. When you talked about like the private equity route and even going back to having a background at like a big four company, which I think a lot of people kind of associate with like stability, career growth, like a kind of linear progression. Um, and then, you know, getting your, your MBA, how did you, was, was there, I guess, any difficulties on your end in trying to like maybe take a leap into something that had maybe a little bit more perceived risk versus like the, I don't want to say the easy route because nothing in, in a career is easy, but in some of the paths that are, are much more, I guess, determined for you or, or kind of more clearly laid out? Yeah, so I de like definitely when I had, I felt like immense pressure, especially in business school, you, know, you think you're either going to go into banking, consulting, or something like private equity and just take like the traditional route. And that to me is like, I, I felt that pressure my first couple semesters and, you know, interviewed at a bunch of like bullish bracket banks you know, went through the whole investment banking interview process. And I don't know, like every interview, I, I kept hearing this voice is like, this is not for you. It just like did not feel natural. And not that that's a bad thing. Like I have plenty of friends who work in that career path and like very talented, but it just, it wasn't for me. So I think after I got that voice out of my head, it was just like, it's okay to take a different path and go like explore different opportunities. And also too, it's just like the perfect time to take a little bit of risk. You have like so many opportunities ahead of you and why not at least dabble and see what's out there and, you know, working at an early stage venture shop, like a rare opportunity. So when that presented itself as like, I'm definitely jumping on that. And that was like a great opportunity and post business school got to work in a larger fund, you know, ended up going back to traditional finance and like a, a different opportunity. But, um, like long story is, um, I don't feel like you have to go down a certain path. I feel like once I kept telling myself, once I got that out of my head, life became just a hell of a lot easier. And also too, just became a lot more fun because you didn't have that pressure on yourself anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. 
you have, I think, an interesting background because, like you said, at, in business school, there was kind of the maybe like early experience with the fintech world. And I think there's obviously a lot of crossover in crypto and, and some might say they're kind of one and the same. But like, how would you describe the differences between the traditional fintech world in, in some aspects and, and what's happening in crypto, if you kind of think there are any? fintech is still i would say adjacent to the traditional finance like traditional finance world so you still see that um i don't know like you're dealing with like traditional like architectures traditional systems like the just traditional way of doing things in finance i mean even like the new fintech companies they're still like built on top of that foundational finance layer whereas i think what was so like mind blowing about crypto and just like everything that was being built was this is like a brand new way of imagining how you can transfer value and information. Like it was just like a complete paradigm shift. And I think that's what like really in my hand was like the, this, like the light bulb went off is like, Oh, like nothing has ever been built like this before. And then when you go out to like meetups, even when it was you know, back in, you know, this is like 2017 timeframe in New York, they were actually like, what, I don't know if you remember these or like yeah. actually people like meeting to read, read white papers like during I, the I day, remember. <laughs> like, and that was like, to me, so mind blowing. So I'd like, I'd be working at, I was at JP Morgan at the time, like a lunch break, I would head down to like Brooklyn and you'd read a, a white paper on, I'm making this up like Filecoin or something. And you'd go to these meetups and it would just be so many like smart people who were all focused on building like a brand new way of just transacting. And to me, that was like so cool. So to, to finally answer your question, I think the, like juxtaposition of the two is fintech is still very much anchored to that traditional finance world where like crypto and web three is just like a brand new way of envisioning what the future could look like, especially the future of finance. No, that's, that's, that's a great point. Um, there's, yeah, I think that that really breaks things down pretty well. Thinking about where you're at right now, how did you find your role? Cause I know from 2017 till now, there've been a couple different, of roles you've had, a couple of different companies you've worked at. How did you end up finding the company that you're at now, Elementus? Yeah, yeah. I joke with our CEO Max. It's been kind of like a five-year dating period. So when I was at JP Morgan, part of my remit at the bank was to uh, I worked on a team that was looking at you know uh, investing in this, in particular investing in potential opportunities across uh, you know blockchain at the time. And so we, we as a team were meeting with companies in this space and one vertical that we were pretty attracted to was the data layer, like data and infrastructure and like traditional picks and shovels. So we were meeting with a lot of companies in that space. And um, in particular, like we were looking at companies that are focusing on the data side. You know, we had a lot of uh, inbounds from private wealth clients, large corporate clients, all trying to like make sense of what was happening on, uh, on chain. And me and my team were spending a lot of time like actually going through block explorers and we're like, holy, uh, I guess it gets where I was like, mind blown. Okay. Like, this is the way okay. that we, okay, holy shit. Like we have to look at a block explorer and this is how we're accessing data. You know, we're used to like pulling up Bloomberg terminals or looking at facts set, like tooling that was making our lives really easy in the traditional like banking side. And now here's this world where everything's like open, permissionless, anyone can access it but it's really hard to access the data. So we saw that as a big pain point and we were looking at companies that were hopefully uh, finding opportunities to solve for that. 
So uh, long story short, we came across uh, Max was introduced to our team, Max uh, Galka, our CEO at, at Elementus. He had, was just starting the company at the time, came into the bank. I, I think it was maybe two people at the company. And he just like, went through an early demo of the product and what he was focusing on and you know his background. And it was just like, this guy's definitely onto something. And I uh, had that like gut feeling that this is a, like a big opportunity. And uh, we didn't end up investing because we, we typically look at companies like Series A and beyond, but we kept in touch ever since then. And it was you know meeting up for coffee in New York, like making intros for each other when, when helpful. And then about a year ago, he called me up and uh, was closing an additional round of capital, was looking to bring someone on the ops side and said, do you want to join? And uh, going back to the dating comment, it's like had gotten to know this guy really, really well, saw someone who had like incredible vision, you know, impressive background, and it was just someone who I had a lot of trust and, and respect for. So uh, when the opportunity came up, it was an enthusiastic hell yes, and uh, been to the company now for about 15 months. Nice. So there's, I think over the course of 15 months, there's been a lot of growth um, for the company at, 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 at Elementus. What's that been like kind of going through that, that period of, of growth as I guess, an employee of, of such a company? It's the, the most exciting time to join a company. I think it's uh, the most chaotic, but yet the most fun because you're, you're trying to build the foundations for this company to scale in the long term. So it's like putting in the systems and processes, but also to like remaining, you know, uh, iterative, agile, et cetera. So I like absolutely love it. I, you know, have been at a startup before this and I feel like anytime you go into this environment, it's really hard to go back because there is, I think, no place that helps you close feedback, feedback loops so quickly. Like every day I'm getting feedback on how to like improve and, and, and just like change the direction of the company. And then, Going back to, I think, why I first got into startups is just the ability to have impact at a company. You know, for those of us who have worked at larger companies, sometimes it's it's really hard to feel that you're like layered into like this hierarchical organization. You know, half the time you're just like putting together PowerPoints for like multiple layers above you. Where here, it's like I close my laptop every day and I do think to myself like, wow, today was a good day, like made incremental improvement and I can feel it. So that is what I, that is like the best part of being at the stage of the company right now. And it is a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, it's a great point. And I think there's, there's a lot of people that have challenges or thoughts, maybe sometimes around leaving larger companies. And I think that's, to me, that was always like one of the benefits. And and one of the reasons like I wasn't a huge fan, I started my career, a small company, like 60 people ended up working at LinkedIn and was at NetSuite, which got acquired by Oracle and like working at a hundred thousand person company was just not, not for, for me. Um, and, and, and it is for a lot of people and, and more power to them. But I think for, for somebody like myself and, and sounds like for yourself too, like being able to see the tangible results of, of what you drive and how it can act, actually have an impact on the business in a positive manner was and important for me and and previously I was in sales roles. So I, I had some impact, but when you're working at a company that does like you know, $10 billion in revenue a year, your million dollar quota is not really moving the needle that much on, on what's happening, uh, you know, for, for the company. Yeah. And I guess maybe to, to add on to that a little bit is um, I think there's a lot of people who like 
throw shade on bigger companies and they hate on the experience. And I would say I'm pretty much in like the opposite camp. I, I think there's actually a ton of benefit to working for a bigger company. I, I'm really grateful I had those experiences. I don't think I'll go back. I'm, I'm, but I'm grateful I had them because if you can navigate like that large hierarchical organization and like push your, push your agenda forward, I, I do, I do think it like brings, there's a lot of carryover skills that you can bring to a startup. So I think um, even with my first startup, there was just like a lot of even just like tangible skills from JP Morgan that I brought that I think if I didn't have those prior stops on my resume, I don't know if I would have been as successful. So I think there is um, there is a middle ground and there's not, it's not always binary where I think some people in kind of startup land where it's, you know, if you work at a big company, like you have like that scarlet letter of bureaucracy and I, I take a different approach to it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point because a lot of times when we're working with companies in the hiring standpoint, most of the companies we work with at Proof of Talent are, are startups. Like actually pretty much every company we work with is a startup, um, usually below 100 employees. But sometimes we'll have candidates who like desperately want to work at a startup and they might work at Oracle or they might work at JP Morgan and they've maybe never worked at a startup before. Um, and some companies look at that and they're like, it's an automatic disqualifier. If you are a job seeker in that role right now, if you're somebody who works at a big company, you want to work at a startup, like how do you think you would position yourself if you were them coming from that background, really wanting to work at a smaller organization? Yeah, this brings back a little bit of flashbacks because I think actually when we first connected, I had a lot of companies when I moved out to the Bay Area that did kind of disqualify me. They're like, oh, he's worked at like a big bank, automatic disqualifier. I think where I was able to break through was like a healthy degree of tenacity and then like making it very hard for the other person to, to say no. And a lot of times it was just, you know, uh, I think my best recruiting tools was probably like Twitter DMs. So I would reach out to a ton of people on Twitter and just say, hey, like I see you're at a, a startup, you're in this position, I want to work. Here's the type of role I'm looking for. And here's how I can add value to the company. And I, made it like a very easy, put out a very easy proposition to say, can you just meet with me for 10 minutes? Like this is pre COVID. So can you meet for 10 minutes for coffee? You know, I just, or can you take 10 minutes for a phone call? I just want to like showcase like why I think I'm a good fit for this company in this role. And the, the hit rate, especially on Twitter DMS back then was like really, really high. So uh, I think when people see that and see a different approach, they like it. Versus like, I'm going to throw my CV into, you know, some endless bottomless pit on the internet and just like hope someone looks at it. That just did not lead to good results. When I took that different approach and like got myself in front of the person, then I think it like really made a difference. And another hack would be, you could even like put together something like if I was interviewing for an ops, an ops role or a biz ops role, I would put together like a biz ops plan or like my plan for like what I would do in my first 30 days. And then it would show to the other person, like, this guy's taking this really, really seriously. And he has like a ton of desire to work here. Let's at least give him a shot. And that led to like a bunch of breakthroughs. And then the last thing is probably just, it, it's, it is a networking game. So just like reaching out to people in your network and like making those mutual connections, or if you don't have any mutual connections, just reaching out. There's nothing wrong with just reaching out to someone and seeing if they respond to you. And, um, Again, pretty high hit rate back in those days from what I remember. Yeah, I think they're 
they're all really good points and really good piece of advice because I think there are a lot of a lot of individuals that want to work in the crypto industry and maybe don't like if you're a software engineer and you have a specific skill set that like very easily translates to a job description, it might be super easy to you know, toss your resume in. You get a call back in five minutes. Like might be it might be a very easy proposition when you have a background that is either like more non traditional or just doesn't maybe like directly align with exactly what somebody might be looking for. I think the the direct reach outs are are super helpful. And like you said, going above and beyond in any type of interview process, because frankly, most people don't like the little the little things go a really, really long way. And I've seen that for candidates that have interviewed with the clients that we've worked with. I've also seen that just internally here in hiring people like interview a lot of people to be recruiters and join the team proof talent. And some people, you know, will take it less seriously. Some people will take it incredibly seriously and just kind of go like one or two steps above. And, and that type of attitude, I think just translates to doing that in your day to day. Cause if you're that serious about it up front, it's not a guarantee, but I think you're likely going to find that that individual is going to be more serious um, and more impactful in the role in the future. hundred percent. Great signal for just like being a self-starter and being like just very ambitious and uh, self-directed too. I, I think it is a good sign that this person's just going to take things and run with it. And I think at a, at a startup, those are the type of people you want little little context and just like give give someone little context and just have them run with things and uh just a great point that's i think it's a really good signal yeah so we've talked a decent amount about how you got in the space and, and kind of your journey there but you are now the coo at elementus you have kind of scaled up the company you've participated in a lot of hiring and and, and kind of operational work there Thinking about things from from that side of the house, as somebody who is you know kind of a an executive leader, a hiring manager, and developed hiring plans, like what maybe initial advice would you give to a five or ten person company in the crypto space that is trying to grow and scale their team? What have you learned over the past um, you know fifteen months that you feel like might apply to to somebody who might be in that position you know right now? I'm a I'm a big vision, mission, values junkie. I just feel like it's it's so important, and a lot of people kind of gloss over them because it, you know, it feels kind of I don't want to say corporatey, but there is this I don't. Know, some people look at that and just say that's like that's not the natural first thing I would do, but in my mind, that's actually one of the best first first exercises you can do. Like really crystallizing what is the path that you're trying to head down, like what is your ultimate end goal. And like, what is the mission that you want to set the team on? And most importantly, like, what are the behaviors that are going to guide the company? And those behaviors should be, in my mind, enumerated in values. So we, even as a company put together, you know, went through this exercise of cascading, you know, vision, mission, values, and really solidifying that as a, as a team. So, you know, myself, Max, uh, Suresh, and Brian, and other members of our management team, really taking the time, putting in, in the reps to get that right. It's still something that, you know, we had an offsite last week where we'll, we'll bring up like, oh, hey, like Sabrina, you like you showcased our values, you know, you know, act like an entrepreneur, like because you did X, Y, Z. And it just it's a great tool for like 
calling people out and making sure that we have the right behaviors at the company. And also too, when we're hiring, like uh, when we're working with your team, like we tend to send over mission, vision, values, especially the values and say like, is this person a fit from a values perspective? So that was the first thing I did. Like first thing I worked on with the uh, the management team here at, uh, at Elementus and would highly recommend that other teams do it. You know, it um, may seem like it doesn't have a, a ton of like return when you're doing it, but it has like, exponential returns if you if you do take the right time to do it and then after you've mapped out your vision and mission you can really start like laying out the roadmap from an operational perspective of all the things you have to do like putting together a capital plan hiring plan like all those other things that you have to do as a company and you know balancing like the tactical and strategic but it all in my opinion like, is traced back to those vision mission and values yeah, it's a it's a good point in terms of just like knowing you know where where you want to get to because if you don't know that it's kind of hard to hard to get there. And I, I think that's one thing that a lot of companies, especially at the early stages, even beyond like the the kind of mission, vision, and, and values end of things, like they just don't necessarily put down as much on the planning front and can just kind of hop into things. And I've been guilty guilty of this myself and in a lot of instances as well. So kind of know from experience, but if you put in the, the upfront effort into something, whether it's, you know, putting the, the values down and spending the time on something that, you know, maybe you might not think that there's going to be just value in um, doing something like that versus just hopping into just hopping into running the company or, or continuing to do so. I think that makes has, has lasting benefits and, and having that type of, his outlook on things is is important because just a little bit of upfront planning, I, I think, for most organizations in the space, goes a long way. Amen to that. I can't can't say uh, a plus one that a, a thousand times, and goes back to even to like some of the skills that you learn at a bigger company. Like half of half your battle is I don't know, like planning starts in June and it like wraps up in December, so you're spending like half your year planning. Uh, that's over the top. But you you do bring some of that over to planning even at a startup and yeah, it's your point, like investing the right time and energy into it. It's and making sure that the the rest of your team has context about that too. Like why what is your what is your mission? Like how are you going to get there? So what is your plan? And then like being very good about just communicating to the company it, like why we're doing these things. I think that's uh, also super helpful. And uh, going back to like an earlier point and something else that I'd recommend is just like over communicate, over communicate, provide a ton of context to the team and make sure that there is that alignment across the organization and everyone's marching in the right path versus just like being haphazard and say like, let's move fast and break things. I, I think those days are uh, I don't know, a little played out, but uh, yeah. yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely agree. Um, thinking, I guess, specifically on the hiring end, I don't know if you've had, how much kind of involvement on like the operational processes behind hiring in specific go. Um, do you have any insights for companies on, on that front as far as maybe either it's structuring proper interview processes, interview feedback, things along those lines? Yeah. I mean, first thing is like get your value make sure that candidates align with the values because those are the behaviors you want every employee to exhibit. And if your gut is telling you that someone is not right from a values perspective, just like stop wasting each other's time and, and respectfully move on. So I'd say that's the first thing is, is set that up. Um, and I would say probably the other thing is set up a recruiting process where you're closing feedback loops quickly. 
I think the worst experience as a, as a candidate is you get into the top of the funnel. Like you meet, you have a pre-screen. It takes multiple days to hear back. And then you finally get in front of other people. And before you know it, it's like a four-week interview process. I remember when I first moved out to the Bay Area and was interviewing with companies. Like that was, to me, it was so painful. Like you'd meet with a, an early stage startup and it would take a month to get through the recruiting process. And then if like, if it's not a good outcome, you, you put in a month of your time to like get ready and it takes time to get ready for interview processes. So just close feedback loops quickly. So that's something we do try to pride ourselves here is like, we get feedback from the interview. We put it into our, our HR system. We close the feedback loop quickly with the hiring manager. If it's a fit, like move the person through and like, keep the momentum going, like keep it going. Don't let the person sit in the interview process and like, just get, especially for talented candidates, like the biggest mistake you can make is losing a great candidate because they got caught up in just friction in the system. So that's something where I think uh, we've worked really well with your team has been just move candidates through. And if for the talented ones, we're going to move them through as like, we're going to move them through damn fast and we're not going to lose a candidate because of that. So uh, that's made a huge difference. And then just, again, uh, communicating with the the team that you're working with, you know, a ton of respect to, to Julia and your team because her and I are just like always going back and forth on Telegram, like it, it, like always in constant communication and always making sure candidates are in the, in the funnel. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all, all great points. I think like one, one of the biggest things that we see always uh, is slow interview processes lose candidates. Like internally we're, like time kills all deals because it does, whether it's a sales cycle, whether it's an interview process, if you have an extended period of time in which something takes, it is, it's just, it's going to ruin things because there's going to be more efficient companies that are going to conduct an interview in a timely manner. And while they're doing that, you're taking four or six weeks to interview somebody. And then by the time you're done, that person's already started another job. So it's one of the biggest things I think as far as interview processes go is is trying to be as efficient as possible. It doesn't have to take three or four days, obviously, but like just being intelligent about the way in which you structure things and can provide feedback. And if you want to you know, move forward with somebody, then don't take too long to think about it. And if you are really unsure about somebody, like there's probably a reason why that is the case. So either address that or let them go. Uh, but yeah, I think like time every single every single time we we see an interview going a really long time, every day that that happens, we're like, there's a less and less chance that this person is going to move forward, and it pretty much always rings true, unfortunately. Oh yeah, and if I'm the candidate too, from my perspective, yeah. I just I just don't think the company is like really prioritizing my time, and they they must just not be interested. So uh, kind of like shame on us too if if we leave that type of impression with with a good candidate. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great point. I think something that a lot of companies could continuously learn from because it's, it's common sense, but it's just, sometimes it's a matter of, I think priority internally for companies or just getting caught up in other things. But it like, if hiring isn't the priority, you shouldn't be hiring. in in, in my opinion, because you have these, lackluster interview processes that take too long because you're not prioritizing it. And then you're losing out on the best candidates and you are maybe only appealing to the subpar candidates that you wouldn't want to hire. So if you're not going to like yeah. go all in on the process itself, then then just don't do it and don't waste your time or a candidate's time. 
Well said. Completely agree. Anything uh, that you want to leave off with at this point in time? I know there's been a lot of advancements for you and your team internally, uh, or just like general advice that you have for job seekers or, or operators in the space at this point. I honestly think now is like the best time to get into this space. I, the collectively, the ecosystem has taken a, a few punches over the, the past twelve months, but at least from our perspective as a team, like we've never been more bullish on what the future of like Web three and crypto looks like. So I think it's a great time to you know if you're interested in this space, like start exploring opportunities. We are actively hiring for both technical and non technical roles. So you know we uh, would selfishly plug Elementus and say it's a a great home for anyone looking for a new opportunity. But going back to like our earlier conversation, just get really creative about it. Don't like, don't listen, don't think about like the limitations or you don't have the proper skill set or you don't have scaling or startup experience. We just, you, you, if you're ambitious, you're motivated and you don't need a, a ton of like direction to keep moving things forward. I think it would, any startup would be, or any company, not just a startup would be crazy not to want you on their team. So uh, yeah, just like make that case for yourself and also to just like reach out to people and, you just never know who's going to respond. I mean, Twitter DMs, LinkedIn DMs, anyone like reaching out to anyone in your network, going to meetups. There is like still now that uh, we're finally out of COVID, there's just like so many meetups and events that are happening. Take advantage of all these opportunities. You uh, also can't, I can't understate just the randomness of life and just the people that you'll meet along the way. You might bump into someone at that meetup who is going to introduce you to like the next founder of that next company you might go work for. So just like keep being ambitious and keep being creative. And if you want to work in this space, just like have the tenacity, just like attack it and like make an opportunity for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great advice. If you want it bad enough, good things are going to happen. I think it's just a matter of going out, hitting the, hitting the ground running and making it happen. And, and eventually if you're persistent enough, things will go your way. And I, I think I've seen that over and over for a number of people. And it's just, it's not always easy for everyone. And some people have to work a little bit harder than others to make it happen, but you'll get there. So I think that's great advice. Well, really appreciate the time, Matt. Thank you so much. I will include links in the podcast and YouTube notes for uh, Elementus and for kind of all the details there. But if uh, anybody needs anything, feel free to reach out in the comments and really appreciate your time, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rob. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matt Austin, the COO of Elementus. If you did, make sure to hit the like button and the subscribe button if you are on YouTube. If you're on the podcast, make sure to subscribe as well. I'll include all the applicable links for this show in the respective show notes. Thank you so much for your time. If you do need any help on both ends of the spectrum, if you're looking for a job in the space, please feel free to reach out to us at proofoftalent.co. Or if you are hiring, if you're at a company kind of similar to Elementus, going through that growth phase and need some assistance in the hiring end, Proof of Talent is happy to support you in your goals. So please feel free to reach out there as well. Thank you so much for your time. Rob from Proof of Talent signing out. Have a good one.